Good morning, Access. Happy Valentine's Day to you. I hope you get to spend it with loved ones or friends. John and I don't celebrate Valentine's Day because our anniversary was just a couple of weeks ago, but we did celebrate Lunar New Year with multiple elaborate family meals in our home and my parents' home this past week. It's really the only East Asian holiday we celebrate, and only recently we've tried to make a bigger deal out of it so our children can benefit from knowing a tiny bit of their heritage. We've been good about teaching our children about faith, um, but less so in the cultural arena, except when it comes to food. We know that in the generations to come after us, much of these things um, will, be, will be lost if we don't preserve some of these simple traditions. But there are also some things we've decided we're not gonna pass on. In our Access Asian American Identity Online group, we shared superstitions our parents used to tell us when we were growing up to get us to do things they wanted us to do. Like, if you don't finish the food on your plate, your future husband's face is going to have a lot of pimples. While well-intentioned because they didn't want to condone food waste, it instilled a level of fear in all of us. And while we questioned its plausibility, many of us also remember um, trying to finish our plates just as a precaution. As parents, some of us have chosen to teach our kids about Santa or the Tooth Fairy, maybe with the intention to have our kids experience the wonder, magic, and innocence of childhood. If they're old enough, we might also teach our kids to react a certain way when they open gifts. We want them to look glad and happy regardless of their true feelings. Knowing what's appropriate to say at certain given times is part of how we interact with one another in relationships. And we socialize our children when they're young so they can properly behave as mature adults who hopefully don't turn out to be social outcasts. While these teachings are important, they can also lend themselves to evolving into something that can be more harmful to our identity and how we show up in various situations as we get older. Some folks grow up putting their other people's feelings and needs before their own and struggle with sharing what they truly feel or think when they're interacting with others in order to gain acceptance or belonging or avoiding the uncertainty of what might happen if they spoke their truth. We're in the second week of our series, <clears throat> excuse me, on spiritual friendships and examining a passage from Ephesians chapter four. Today, I'm going to break down verse 25 and discuss what it means to put off falsehood, how to speak truthfully when it can be offensive, and how to maintain unity in the diverse body of Christ. Let's read the passage together. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil, deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Paul was addressing in this cultural context a distortion of truth in people's lifestyle, in their speech, and in their interactions together. The people of God, the believers at that time, were not living in a way that was reflective of who they were made to be. By not being grounded in this truth of who we are, Paul says that we're susceptible to being tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by the wind, not knowing the difference between what is true and what is false, and moving wherever the current takes us, even if it means giving up our true selves, who we were made to be in Christ. So what does it mean to put off falsehood? In Faith Walking, we discuss the idea of integrity that I believe is reflective of living into our true selves. The working definition of integrity is when we do what we say we will do, when we say we will do it, in the way it was meant to be done. Integrity is when we do what we say we will do, when we say we will do it in the way it was meant to be done. Several years ago, when we were living in Austin, I was going through a really difficult time. I was burned out spiritually, emotionally. I was pretty isolated from community, which was almost non-existent at the time. And it was really impacting how I showed up in the family. 
at the start of our marriage, John and I agreed that I would do all the cooking and he would do all the cleaning. And because of our work schedules and the travel involved with work, it was hard to maintain this agreement. So then we switched to whoever cooks, the other person does the dishes. Well, I remember this one particular night. John had cooked and it was my responsibility to do the dishes. And I just decided that night, I'm not going to do them. I'm, I'm tired. I've juggled work and the kids all day. I deserve to do whatever I want to do. And I still remember him going to the sink and rightfully asking, uh, are you going to do the dishes? And I just sort of shrugged him off and just continued to do my own thing. There was clearly an integrity gap here on my part. I wasn't doing what I said I would do, when I said I would do it, in the manner it needed to be done. And the impact on our marriage and family was huge. As you can imagine, this was not just a one-time thing. Trust between me and John eroded, resentment grew, and deep down inside, I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of shame at that time because I knew this behavior was not reflective of how I was meant to live my life with God. When I look back on this period, I see myself with a lot of compassion, knowing my circumstances at the time. And while I'm receiving the grace God has for me, I had to face the impact of my behavior. When we don't put off falsehood, when we don't live with integrity, it can be harmful to our relationships. And so it's important for us to clean up the mess we've made with apologies and ask for forgiveness. It's also important for us to choose to live differently. Now, John and I still share cooking and cleaning responsibilities. And when it's my turn to do the dishes, I do it with a lot more joy because I know by honoring my word and living with integrity, I'm restoring what was once broken. But more importantly, I'm living more fully into who I truly am as I live my life worthy of the calling that I have received. The second part of this verse discusses speaking truthfully to our neighbor. This part of our, the verse reminds me of times when you're sharing a meal with someone and maybe you don't know this person super well and there's food stuck in their teeth and, and I'm wondering, should I say something or should I not? Um, maybe I should say something, but then how am I, how do I say it gently? And, and sometimes I'm just like, oh, it's whatever. It's, it's too much trouble to figure out how to, I'm just going to try to ignore it. Um, or maybe I just don't know exactly what to say. So I'll just do like this motion. Um, 
And, and then they get all embarrassed. And, and ideally, I would say something like, oh, yeah, I hate it when that happens to me, just to lessen the embarrassment. But in this particular context, the stakes are way higher, right? The Ephesians, they were living in their former ways. They were giving into their own personal desires and consequently the body of Christ was becoming more fragmented. Life together in unity in the church body are central to God's eternal plan for the world. That means our church and the capital C church were not meant to look like any other community or organization. We as Christ's church, we are to live in this future dimension that is part of God's plan to bring restoration to the world. And one of the ways we do this is to speak the truth in love. In the book, Crucial Conversations, the authors list the ingredients that are needed to speak truthfully when it can be offensive. In order to maintain safety and respect, we need three things. We need confidence. The confidence to know that what we have to say, our opinions and our perspective are essential to the conversation. It's important to say what's so for ourselves. The second ingredient is humility. We have to enter these conversations knowing that our truth may not be the whole truth, and it also may not be the final truth. Others might have their truth to share that's important for us to hear, and that could very well change our minds. And lastly, we need to practice these skills. It takes practice. We need the skills to be able to speak truthfully while maintaining safety and respect. Sadly, in this pandemic, it's um, resulted, as we've tried to live life, um, it's resulted in much of our lives and relationships playing out on social media. And that makes these crucial conversations extremely difficult. Let's be honest, it's very hard to speak the truth in love on social media. I'm not saying we shouldn't speak our truth there. I think social media can certainly be a place for that, for this, but it can't be the only place we practice truth telling. Though we can post things with confidence and speak our truth, it just gets blasted out into cyberspace and oftentimes it lacks the humility that is one of the essential ingredients to maintaining safety and respect in a relationship. And though we aren't responsible to the hundreds or thousands of friendships we have on Facebook or Instagram, there are relationships that are primary, specifically the ones we have in our church, the people we call our church. We aren't responsible for people's reactions if we are speaking truthfully in love and respect and civility. 
people might get offended by our truth because they might see things differently. And, and that's okay. It's good and it's okay if we have different views. And I'll share more about that in a bit. But all I'm suggesting is, <clears throat> is that we be mindful of the words we choose when we post our truth and to do it respectfully and with humility. Here's another thing. If we think that speaking truth is too hard, it's too complicated, and it's too much work, we, we don't have the energy for this. I, I believe that by not speaking truth in what I would call a sin of omission, we're not putting off the falsehood that God commands us to do. The command to speak truth here is strong, and it's a repeated theme. We need, to, we need each other to speak truth to one another for our own sake. We need to hear truth from people so that we can mature and grow up as members of the body with Christ as the head. Our passage begins with the phrase, then you will no longer be infants. I thought this was um, an interesting metaphor. I'm reminded of one of our preschool twins who will emulate everything that his older brother says, even if it's not appropriate. Older brother thinks it's funny and that he has that kind of power and influence, but little brother doesn't know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate unless we teach him. The more intentional we are about teaching and encouraging, the more likely he'll grow up, hopefully, and mature and live a life in word and speech that reflects who he is in Christ. And that's what we do in spiritual friendships. We encourage each other towards Christ. We spur one another on because we love each other. That's what we do as a member of the body of Christ as we grow in maturity together. Lastly, how do we maintain unity in the diverse body of Christ? Speaking true truth and saying what's so for ourselves can reveal some deep divides within our community. And oftentimes, we see these differences as a lack of unity. But unity does not equate with uniformity. Unity does not equate with uniformity. Christ came. He's already come to break down the walls of hostility among all people. In their context, it was between Jews and Gentiles. Because Christ has already done this work, of reconciliation for us, our role is to maintain the unity of the church body. We see this distinction made as Paul describes the variety of gifts distribu that's distributed within the church body. If all the parts of the church body are speaking and working together in congruence with Christ as the supreme head, Everyone can enjoy the fruits of the Spirit that come from this unity 
through growth and maturity together as the church. Conformity not to this world and not to each other, but conformity to Christ is the life that we are called to live. As a people of God, we are each made uniquely in his image as we each reflect God's glory in our own way. If we can give our voice the same value as our neighbor's voice or vice versa, speaking our truth allows us to put off falsehood and live out the unity that God, Christ calls us to maintain. In her book, Disunity in Christ, Christina Cleveland explains the term meta-perceptions. Meta-perceptions are what we think they think of us. She says, while perceptions are the way we view our in-group and out-group, meta-perceptions are the way that we think the out-group views our in-group. When it comes to groups getting along or not, what we think of them is just as important as what we think they think of us. If we miscalculate others' perceptions of us, we're far more likely to misunderstand them when we actually do cross paths. Our meta-perceptions tend to be overly pessimistic. We tend to believe that what they think of us is far worse than what they actually think. So whether we're part of the in-group or the out-group, if we both have false meta-perceptions of one another, we're not going to be able to interact or engage with each other. We're going to stay within our own group. It's very natural for us as humans to get, categorize others or have biases. But when we live into this reality, we miss out on becoming the full and whole diverse body of Christ, where regardless of race or ethnicity, socioeconomic background, political views, and ideologies, even with all these vast differences, when the gap between us seems so wide and deep, we can turn to the head of the body, whose love bridged that gap for all of us when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Where all the walls of hostility were broken down, where we can be one in Christ. And of course, it's okay to have groups within the faith community. We don't all have to share the same interests and passions. I know that not everyone's gonna be 100% on fire about kids ministry. Hey, I'm, I'm not gonna judge you if you don't wanna hold precious, adorable babies on Sunday mornings. I'm not gonna judge you, you know, if that's not your thing. Because I know there's a larger group, the body of Christ, that is far more valuable than any other group we can pledge our allegiance to. Yes, even our family. That's why we use the term faith village, because it reminds us of the spiritual family 
that we belong to. So let's ask ourselves this morning, what are the false narratives or assumptions that we might have towards an entire demographic within our Axis community or even the capital C church, the larger body of Christ? What are those false narratives that we need to confront and put off this morning? It's okay if we have differences and it's okay if we have disagreements. God never intended for us to be a homogeneous body. The diversity in beliefs and views actually help us grow if we approach the differences with humility, a humility and a curiosity that perhaps, perhaps this person knows something that I don't know. Perhaps this person's unique perspective might make me a better person, a more wholehearted person, a more complete picture of the image of God that we are to reflect in our lives. We need to let go of the need to be right while holding on to the truth that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. With this commonality in mind, we can make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. At the start of the new year, I injured my big toe in a very annoying way, and I won't get into all the details of that, um, but it meant needing to sit and rest my foot for a couple of days. I was surprised that something as small as my big toe could cause me to completely stop and change my New Year's plans and keep me from doing all the things that I had planned to do. When one part of the body is hurting, the whole body is impacted when functioning in a healthy way. Sure, I could have you know, continued with my plans, but my toe may not have had a chance to fully heal. And my, I might even re-injure it in the near, near future. Friends, there are parts of our church body that are hurting. I'm going to name one that needs to be named this week. There's been an increase in violent attacks towards Asians and Asian Americans in our country in the past year and increasingly in the past few weeks leading up to Lunar New Year. I don't speak for all Asian Americans in our church, but there are many who are angry and hurting because of anti-Asian sentiments throughout our country that have caused this level of violence. The lies that COVID in our country is caused by Asians is running rampant and we need our sisters and brothers of all colors to speak truth to address these lies. And here is the truth. We belong here. 
We are citizens of this country. We are American. We are not a disease. And this is our country too. If there's a member of the body that's hurting, we need to be a part of that healing. I pray that Access will be a community that stands in solidarity with those who are hurting, who, who boldly speaks truth against sin, injustice, and oppression, so that we can more completely reflect God's image as His diverse people. I pray that we would be a church who relentlessly pursue a peace and a unity that this world does not know or understand. And I pray that we would be a church that lives a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Access family, let's say this sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them, May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.